everyone, and welcome to another episode of Speaking Volumes, Books, Writing, and the World of Publishing. I am your host, Renee McMillan, and I am very excited today to welcome author Madeline Martin to the program. Uh, now, Madeline Martin, she is usually an author of historical romance books, but today we are talking about her debut historical fiction uh, called The Last Bookshop in London. I'm very excited about it because as a former bookseller, I love talking about books and also bookstores. So this is a very exciting book for me to be talking about. Um, Madeline is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of, as I mentioned, historical romance and now historical fiction. Um, her books have strong heroines and high action plot twists. Um, they have finaled in the Holt Medallion and National Excellence in Romance Fiction Award. That's, that was a weird sentence. Um, and she is currently joining us from Florida, which is not as sunny right now, a little windy, she said. But um, Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Renee. I've been really looking forward to it. <laughs> Likewise, yes. Um, so I just want to start off uh, asking a couple questions to help the viewers get to know you a little bit more. Um, how did you know that you wanted to be a writer? What was sort of your catalyst moment um and uh how did you start your writing career so i've always been an avid reader uh the kind of reader that's like a book a day sort of a reader mm -hmm. and i think that with just with with inputting so many stories into my head constantly um i think i just always sort of had stories sort of coming right back you know what i mean mm -hmm. um, so even when i was in elementary school i actually would draw um i would draw stories and then as I got older, like in middle school, I actually wrote full stories with chapters and a dedication page. And I even made a cover out of yeah. like cardboard and cloth for one of them. <laughs> um, so, and I, I always have these little stories that I kind of started. So I think that I've always um, kind of had that desire to write books and tell stories. So yeah. really as far back as I can remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was one of those kids as well where, you know, and I, I feel like I just saw a tweet about this too, where someone tweeted that, you know, they were writing a story as a kid and they had you know, six pages and they're like, it's almost done. And I, you look back at that, you're like, oh, sweet child. <laughs> right. Pages. Yeah. That'd be great. Back when um, writing was so much easier. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, this book is awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, and I, I always love hearing stories about, yeah, you made your own cover, and oh, that's great. And then you find those later, and you're like, oh, man, that's just going to stay there. Um, what, what is your favorite place to go to to write? Um, honestly, at home, like right here in my office. Um, and it's really a lot of it has to do with the fact, well, two main reasons. Um, one is because everything is kind of ergonomic and um, I've had, I've had the last three years I've written eight books a year. And then this year I'm slated to have written seven books this year. And, um, and the first three years of that were uh, writing or working full time too. So my wrists and my back and my hips pretty much hate me at this point. So everything is like ergonomic keyboard, the weird ergonomic mouse that no one can figure out but me, you know, the lumbar pillow that my cat likes to steal. Um, so that's number one. But number two is when I'm writing, I do like a full immersion sort of writing where I'm 360 degrees into the story. Mm -hmm. So um, if I have a character who's angry, I'm you know, angrily writing. And like, if I'm at a, at a sad scene, I'm like crying while I'm writing. And I, I can't do that when I go to Starbucks or if I have somebody, you know, 
think like like glaring at somebody sometimes i'll do the facial expressions i can see like what it feels like so i'll kind of glare and i don't want somebody's like oh my gosh does that woman hate me why is she glaring at me yeah so i generally like to really just stay home (laughs) that's fair yeah i i I understand that too because sometimes i'm like how do i describe this and then you make the face you're like "Ah, right right yeah yeah you definitely don't want to be that person at the coffee shop no. The one that's always glaring at people from their corner, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I mean, sometimes I am that person. If I'm just having a bad day, generally, yeah, don't yeah. don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I mentioned in the introduction, you primarily have kind of written uh historical romance. Right. And the last bookshop in London is your sort of first foray into historical fiction with you know, you can have romance in a non-romance book, but right. obviously it's not the forefront. Uh, how, how did that come about? Was it something that you always wanted to, you kind of planned to do in your writing career or did it just kind of suddenly happen and you had this idea? Um, it's definitely something that I eventually did want to do. Um, I've always, um, historical fiction actually are some of my first books that I really started reading. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite, favorite series of all time was um, the Little House in the Big Woods series mm-hmm. by Lauren Ingalls Wilder. And ever since then, I've always just been completely addicted to historical fiction. And um, for me, like with, re- with doing historical romance and getting to do so much research because I do medieval, I do um, 17th century and I also do Regency, I just started to realize that I wanted to talk more about the history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I thought to myself, one day I really want to write historical fiction where I can just throw all of my historical knowledge that I'm gleaning from this research and, and put it into a book and really make it forefront. And so, uh, so that's what I really got to sort of showcase with The Last Bookshop in London. Very nice. Um, and speaking of, well, of course we're here speaking of book, last bookshop in London, where, where did this specific idea come from about focusing on the last bookshop in London? Was there, I don't know, is, is there any like truth to this? Because, you know, obviously you're writing about World War II and a lot of the things in your book were happening, did happen. Uh, was there, was there an actual sort of bookshop that kind of, you know, was the last bookstore bookstore standing in in an area of London or? It wasn't about one specific bookshop per se, um, but I did see an article that sort of was, you know, my inspiration for this story. And it was talking about the Paternoster um, Row bombing. Mm -hmm. And it was this, basically it was a whole entire publishing district in London Mm -hmm. and it just got completely annihilated by, um, by bombers and incendiaries. And, um, and it actually destroyed over 5 million books in that night. And they were going through a paper shortage at the time because everything was on shortage with the, with the war on. Mm-hmm. And um, so you couldn't just replace those books, you know. And so it really was very devastating for the publishing community. And so it just made me kind of think about community coming together around books and, and how, like, maybe one small little bookshop might make such a huge difference in the lives of so many different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something I really loved, um, you know, just that theme throughout the whole book that Grace is obviously, she's stuck in this, the middle of this war, and she's having a lot of these feelings of, what can I do? I'm not helping enough. But then that through working at this bookshop and bringing people together around books and stories was something that was really impactful on these people that are going through this terrible time. And it was a little right. kind of ray of hope. Uh, I really loved that 
that element to the book that that was just, you know, yeah, you're bringing this community together around books because books do have that ability to really be a light in the dark. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Were you drafting and kind of writing this book through the, the, you know, the first full year of the pandemic that we had? Is that kind of- Absolutely, I was. And it very much impacted the things that I wrote. Um, It really felt like I was able to connect with Grace's character on a completely different level than if we had been going through a time of normalcy. So um, like, for example, the hoarding Mm -hmm. and people wishing that they could, they could just wish life back to being normal again. Um, There really was so much more of a connection that I was able to make with the characters and also just even like, really the mood of the culture and everything then based off of, you know, what we were going through. And obviously there's a huge difference between pandemic and being bombed nightly, but it is still very devastating to the community and people are still going to have certain reactions and you're going to have people that have good ones and you're going to have ones that have bad ones as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it it was very, very influential in my writing of this book. I definitely picked up on that. I it was, you know, maybe even just two or three chapters in and she's already having these thoughts of, Oh, well, you know, life isn't, isn't really, you know, there's a war going on, but life doesn't feel that different. And then slowly things do start to change obviously. But yeah, I definitely picked up on that very early that I was like, this is kind of what we're living through and have been living yeah. through over the last year. So I, I was curious if that yeah, helped. Cause I know a lot of people, you know, all these events that we've been doing with authors virtually over the pandemic year, a big question has been, how has the pandemic impacted your writing? Has it been harder? Um, But like I said, I wondered if kind of going through a similar time had made it easier on you if you were drafting at that time. So. Right. And you know, the thing is um, I read through a lot of diary entries when I was doing research for this book, Uh, diary entries from various different people, all walks of life. And um, really a lot of the things that I mentioned in there that we had struggled with, with the pandemic really were things they actually even talked about too. Mm -hmm. people hoarding and, um, and being tired of everything and just wanting life to be normal again and all of those same kind of things. And so it really was so easy to connect with that on such a relatable level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Speaking of research, did you get to, well, maybe not during the pandemic, but before, had you spent time in London or the UK and gotten a chance to get a feel for, you know, the city of London, obviously not in World War II times, but at least the city and maybe some of the the scars that had been left from the bombings and just learn the history a bit more. Did you get a chance to do that at all? So I have been to London several times. I'm an army brat and I was over in Germany over three different tours with my dad. And um, so I have been to London several times. In fact, I actually was very lucky and got to celebrate the turn of the millennium um, at Big Ben. And so (laughs) uh, unfortunately, though, I never actually went there with World War II history in mind. Mm -hmm. So uh, of course, I have major regrets on that now. um, And I do want to go back and kind of walk through the city and see a lot of things. Um, like, for example, um, they have these these iron gates. Well, they got rid of all the iron gates, rather, because they needed to melt it all down for ammunition and everything else. Mm-hmm. So they put these um, these metal gates in its place. And if you look at it from the side, it's kind of like this. And then when you turn it on its side and it goes in, it makes a fence. But then when there's a bombing, you can take it off, flip it over, and it's a stretcher. And they actually still have them all over London. And so I want to go look on a fence find, you know, and try to see how many I can find. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, you can find like places where shrapnel took out chunks of buildings. And I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, sort of mementos still left behind from the blitz and from world war two and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you tweet recently that you just recently booked a ticket to go to the UK for research on a new book you're working on. I wish it was the UK. Ah. (laughs) I actually am hoping to book um, for my next book is going to take place in France and Portugal. Um, So I'm hoping that, uh, that those both open up in time for me to be able to travel to get that into my book. Mm -hmm. But um, I actually booked this one to DC because one of my heroines is going to be American. And so I want to get some background research because she's going to be from DC. So that's as close as I can get right now. And I'm crossing my fingers that I can get to the rest of it. Yes. Hopefully my fingers are crossed for you as well. Cause yeah, that would be, that would be a great, like you said, just to really experience it yourself and, and be able to put that realism into the book a bit more than just doing a Google search. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So this book is set in during World War II, of course. Um, starts right as things kind of get going. Um, there's a there's a lot of books that are set during World War II. What about your book? Do you think offers readers that they might not find in other books set in this time period? What What did you kind of try and put in this book to make it special? Um, well, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I really didn't like think about trying to put anything specific in to make it special. I just wrote the book from my heart. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, you just you just kind of try to to write it and hope that it's going to be an enjoyable book. And and I hope that people would find um, a lot of interest in it, uh, like I did with the research. Mm-hmm. But um, I know that one big thing is that uh, with the fact that Grace kind of started off not being a reader, mm-hmm. um, and I, I did that intentionally, and I sort of pulled from my romance author um, box of tools there, where with romance, people read that, and they, they do that so they can experience the joy of falling in love over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I wanted people to be able to see reading from Grace's perspective, where they saw her open that first book and get sucked in and then fall head over heels into this world of love with books. And I wanted people to experience that love of reading for the first time all over again through her eyes. Mm -hmm. So I think that probably is going to be something that is sort of distinguish it from other books um, about World War II. And I've also heard that apparently it's, it's way more hopeful than a lot of World War II books are. <laughs> and I didn't set out to make it that way. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people have said it's almost like a big warm hug. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess yeah. you don't typically think about a World War II book feeling like a big warm hug. But yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not usually. That's not yeah, not the first thing that would come to mind thinking about, yeah. about World War Two. So yeah, yeah that's people really do like the hope and everything that it really does leave behind, especially with the pandemic and everything. Yeah, I was gonna say again, it's kind of kind of the type of book that we need right now is is something that kind of lifts you up a bit more. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, and I think just as you were talking, I was kind of thinking, I was like, so it's not really a World War Two book. It's more sort of a love letter to, yeah, you know, the finding the love of reading and just, again, like the power that reading can have, you know, both. Yeah, and classic literature and, yep. and yeah. what it really means to people and everything. Yeah. yeah. It, it just happens to be set during World War II. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is really like one of my favorite time periods. I really enjoy um, just doing research on World War II. Yeah. That, that kind of segues perfectly into another question I had you know, as I mentioned, there are many books that are set during World War II, and you know, in a lot of different 
that, that focus on a lot of different things that were happening during that time and different, you know, groups of people and, and all of that. Um, what, what do you think the fascination is? Like, where do you think, what about World War II just makes it so fascinating and so, so many people want to kind of dissect it and, and study it? I think the fact that it really just, well, first of all, the fact that it was impactful of the entire world. I mean, that really is huge. Mm -hmm. But then also when you just think about the hardships that people really faced with that, and um, I mean, the suffering that so many people endured, and how many people were able to survive and still have hope, even when they're in the most hopeless sort of situations, Um, and and just the things that they did to survive and, and to help other people. I can't tell you, I mean, it's to think about these people who sacrificed their children and their lives and everything to save other people. That's incredible. It's one thing to say, Oh, I would, I would definitely do that. But when you think about, well, what if my children get killed because I'm doing this? Mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, that's some bravery right there. That is selfless and, you know, completely brave. And that is just really inspiring. And so I think even though it's one of the darkest periods of history, it, it's also really one of the most inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely an opportunity that really highlights. Yeah. Sort of the, the strength of the, the human spirit and what right. you can, what you can discover about yourself and your community, even though you're going through such a terrible time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. All right. Let's talk about some fun stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I loved the, the story behind how Mr. Evans created um, Primrose Hill books. Mm-hmm. I, like It was just, you know, it's just like a paragraph in the book. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh, I shouldn't smack my mic, but Oh my gosh, my heart. Like that is the sweetest story ever. Aww. Did you just come up with that? Or was there some sort of real life? Cause it's so beautiful. I just loved it. Thank you. Yeah. I actually just kind of came up with it. Um, I just thought uh, Primrose Hill was kind of a cute name for a bookshop and, um, but I was like, well, I don't want it set on Primrose Hill though, because, um, I want it. I, I spent so much time researching the ideal location, not only for Grace to live, mm-hmm. but also for the bookshop to be located because I needed it to be close enough to Paternoster Row. Yeah. It was very, very complicated. I mean, I probably took about three months just to pinpoint the individual locations. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to relocate, um, you know, the bookshop on Hoosier Lane to Primrose Hill. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, well, you know, what if I make a cute little story kind of to go with it? Yeah. And so that's where the idea for that came from. And I liked the idea that it kind of, it gave Mr. Evans initially, like just right off the bat, a softer side. So you mm-hmm. knew that he wasn't just a total grumpy curmudgeon, you know, that there really was some soft goo on the inside of that mm-hmm. hard exterior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I said, I just was like, oh, that's the most beautiful story ever. Everyone Aww. should be so fortunate to have a meet cute like that. Thank you. I know when I was, well, that's, I was thinking, oh, how romantic would it be to have something like that happen? And I was yeah. like, oh, that would be so cute for Mr. Evans. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And he, I mean, and those are almost kind of my favorite characters, like the characters that start off and they seem very curmudgeonly and just like, I just want to be left alone. You're like, Mm-mm-mm. I know there's a different side to you. Yes. And then your character can worm their way into their hearts, even yeah. though they don't want it to happen. I love yep. it. Yep. Yeah. That's my favorite um is is primrose hill books like the the shop itself have you kind of visited stores that were your inspiration to you know sort of start it off or did you just kind of think okay i've been to bookstores that kind of have their act together what's the exact opposite of that (laughs) and just kind of created that 
Well, there have definitely been some pretty crazy bookshops um, in Europe that I have gone to where it really is just, well, in, in America too, where there are just piles of books everywhere. There's no rhyme or reason to anything. And those almost have sort of like a certain little magical quality to them. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you go up to an attic and you're like, boxes and you're like, oh, what are in these boxes? And so there's something kind of magical about that. So I, I wanted to start off the bookshop like that and have it be sort of like this crazy mess that she has to tackle. And I almost felt like that was almost almost sort of like the unveiling of all of the books that she ends up encountering. Mm-hmm. So as the bookshop is really kind of being cleaned up, she's also sort of finding her love for books as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was definitely, it, it really spoke to the bookseller in me that all the, you know, the bits, the passages where Grace is, you know, she's going to other bookshops to look at how they display their books and how they organize. And then, you know, she's cleaning up. I was like, oh, I so want to be back in a bookstore, like doing displays. And, you know, <laughs> so it was, you really, you really captured that, uh, that desire, um, I think, oh, in your, in you. the passages. Yeah. Well, and funny thing about the displays too, they actually did use those kind of pasteboard displays at that time. Um, I did a lot of research. Um, in fact, I would, I would, because I could look at pictures online. Mm-hmm. So I had a magnifying glass that I would keep next to my computer. Yeah. And then whenever I would pull up a picture of a bookshop or something, I could take it and, you know, kind of peer inside. Mm-hmm. And they had these little pasteboard things where it really was saying things like, you know, lighten up your blackout with mm-hmm. a good book and yeah. all these sort of slogans. And they really did use those. So yeah. it was fun to incorporate those into the book as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, for the books that Grace reads, like you're kind of focusing on that classic literature, you know, the things that were big at the time, was there sort of a, did you have a system for what books you kind of wanted to feature? You know, like you talked about Middlemarch and Emma was in there. Are these books that like you yourself have read that you liked or did you just kind of, you know, pick some, pick some classic literature books to put in there? So um, these are actually, all these books are ones that have an impact, that had an impact on my life at some point or another that I've read. And um, I mean, you know, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I think most of them I read in high school, (laughs) you know, um, but going through and just thinking about which ones I really wanted to incorporate. I will say that the Count of Monte Cristo, that suggestion came from my father. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, you have to include The Count of Monte Cristo. That was my all-time favorite book. Yeah. And um, and the reason I thought it would be so perfect, too, is because, obviously, George recommends it to Grace. And mm-hmm. so George wouldn't really probably be recommending Emma or, you know, Pride and Prejudice or right. Jane Eyre or something. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that it really would be perfect for him to use The Count of Monte Cristo. And it really ended up just being the perfect book for the whole the whole scenario. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, there's a few classics that people have mentioned to me and I'm not, you know, I'm not like a classic hater or anything, but sometimes I'm like, okay, let's maybe, you know, temper down our, our love of the classics. Like they're, they're not the best thing in the world. Like there's a lot of great books that people have written since then. Oh, but, yeah, no, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. But, but some people, you know, like people have mentioned um, Master and Margarita to me and yeah, Count of Monte Cristo and so when I kind of hear people and you know, people that I respect their, their reading and they mention to me that, oh, no, it is great. You'd love it. I kind of think, OK, like I can I can carve out a little bit of reading time for the classics because there are there are plenty of classics I know that still are kind of worth their salt and have their their importance. So, yeah. right. Absolutely. And it's um, it's interesting. Um, just how far they take it sometimes. Like, like 
I don't know, Brave New World is one for me. Mm-hmm. If you read that book, you would never think that it was written like, I think it was back 1930. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible when you read through it and you're like, I mean, it feels so modern. It feels like such yeah. a modern concept. Um, but it's, it's, so that's one of the things that I just think is fascinating, but I have a couple girlfriends who, um, we're all best friends. And so we've actually, we do like a classic book a month that we read mm-hmm. and, um, and it's really interesting reading through it. And it's nice because we all are a hundred percent honest with each other. So, you know, some of those things we can be like, literally, I did not get this book at all. Like, I know there's probably some existentialism, blah, 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 kind of thing about this, but it's way over my head. <laughs> Yep. And, and it's like you feel comfortable being able to say that, which is nice. So but yeah. the last book we did was Dracula, which was very interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that would be another one, yeah, just because you think about all the iterations and you know, movies and all the stuff that it was inspired yeah. by it. it. Oh, man, talk about some nice. world building. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that whole world that he built is still being used. All these, like, what is it, like, I mean, 100 years, 200 years later? Yeah, least, I, don't, I can't remember when it was published. At least 100, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really incredible. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you think, you know, same with, like, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. It's yeah. just endured so many years, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah we actually have a list that we pull from, Mm-hmm. And we select the whole list and we put it into a random generator. So crime and punishment is next. We start on June 1st. <laughs> Did I, I don't think I ever read crime and punishment. I'm trying to think back to my, uh, you know, I know. British, British literature class in, in college, the books that we read. I don't think that was on. Yeah. There. I haven't read crime and punishment and I'm looking forward to it. It sounds really interesting. It's like a, like a classic thriller. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and like you were saying about Brave New World, there's always, I feel like for every time period, there's always going to be a handful of people that were kind of before their time with whatever they were doing. So yeah, Yeah. definitely find, find those people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. I have to ask another question, another sort of fun question, but also sad question, I guess. So you have George and uh, Colin in the book. There we go. Mm -hmm. And and I tweeted about it, and I know you saw it because you laughed at it. But when Colin came on, my first reaction, I was like, he's going to be the love interest. He's, you know. But that was not the case. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> did, you, did you, like, debate between maybe having Colin be a sort of love interest for Grace? Or did you always know it was going to be George? I always knew it was going to be George. Yeah. And um, so Colin kind of had his place um, in my story. I really was inspired for like with a lot of these characters from people who I read about when I was reading in a lot of these diaries uh, doing my research. And um, one particular woman had written about her son who was getting ready to go to war mm-hmm. and he was sitting there next to their dog and he was stroking its velvety long ear mm-hmm. and he was thinking, or, and she was thinking to herself, you know, he's too gentle for war. Mm-hmm. And her heart was breaking at the thought of her gentle son having to go off and face these atrocities of war. And she's like, he would never shoot somebody. Like, how is he even going to live? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's where my idea for Colin came in. Yeah. And so Colin was always meant to be a friend and, um, and just, uh, just a sweet, sweet man, you know? Yeah. So it's one of those, yeah, kind of, um, cinnamon roll characters as they're, as they're known yeah. today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, he, he's a man after my own heart anyone who's taking care of animals and just being, yeah, a kind, loving soul. Yeah. But yes, that's absolutely, I felt like, I felt like, um, 
that woman's son needed to be represented and just kind of, you know, have his part in, in history. And so I, that's why I wanted to put Colin in the story. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Did you, this is maybe a silly question, but did you like find yourself wanting to go and reread or rewatch um, Blinking? Oh, Chronicles of Narnia when you were working on this book? Cause maybe, uh, maybe that's just the only thing my brain goes to with world war two stuff, but you were talking about sending the children to the country and carrying the gas masks in the box, which by the way, thank you. Because every time I would watch the movie and they had those, I was like, what are, what are those things they're carrying? And in my head, I was like, Oh, maybe they're like a lunchbox. <laughs> and then you talked about the gas masks in your book. I was like, Oh, that's what those are. <laughs> So you know, to be honest with you, I completely forgot that Narnia was even during World War II. Yeah. Completely. I, until you mentioned that, I completely, um, no, this all really was just like from research. Um, I mean, the kids that were sent away from London, they didn't get really the all clear to come back um, until six, almost six years later. Yeah. So it's just really incredible how long they were gone for. Yeah, definitely. So, mm-hmm. And yeah, and was there was there kind of an age limit that they like put on the children that were sent? Like you know, 15? Um, there was an age limit. I can't remember off the top of my head what it. I think maybe like fifteen or something. Yeah. But I do know that if children under five could bring their mothers with them, mm-hmm. and that apparently caused a lot of strife because you basically had two moms in a household, and yeah. that doesn't always work out well because you know there's only one queen of the roost, sort of. Right. And, um, but pregnant women also went as well as people who had disabilities, they were told to go as well. So on all, when they very first started, um, in, um, early in like September 1st, uh, 1939, Mm -hmm. um, they had 3.75 million people that were actually displaced. So that's like huge. And, and that number, you know, would come and go depending on, so obviously during the Boer War in the very beginning when there really was nothing going on, a lot of people ended up coming back home. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously when the Blitz started and the bombings were especially every single night, people didn't want to keep their children in London because it wasn't safe. So they sent them home or they sent them away again. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it's so easy for us now. I feel like I feel like we're so much more mobile now than, than they used to be then. Like you couldn't just be like, Oh, well, we're just going to all move from London and, and go live in, you know, Dorchester or something. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just do that. You know, your whole life was in London. You had your home, you had your job. Um, you couldn't just leave. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of times these kids were sent away. Cause you think, do, uh, do I keep my kid here and they die or can I at least keep them safe? And so that's why they did that. But I can't imagine as a mother having to make that kind of decision to not live with my child or have my child potentially die. I mean, it's just horrible. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Very devastating. Yeah. And also just think, just thinking about, you know, six years after things have kind of, you know, ended, but they didn't get the all clear and thinking how young some of these kids are and to the t- just the time that you're away for the war itself. And then another six years, like that's a, a whole lot of life for that's a kid. Like you, your childhood. I mean, yeah. you about like a six year old that leaves and they come back when they're 12. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that's, I can't even imagine. And yeah. um, you know, a lot of these kids came from big cities and they went to the country having never been to the country before. Yeah. Some of them didn't know what a cow was. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's so wild. <laughs> yeah. That, that is, yeah, just bizarre. And, but, and yeah. then, like you said, you know, thinking of, of being a parent, a mother, you know, whoever, and having to send your child away, 
I was sitting there reading, I was like, that's, yeah, it's got to be a super hard choice to either keep your child with you, but then potentially be putting them in harm's way or send them away and you don't see them. But my also, my other thought too was, I mean, it's just a hard decision all around, but if you send them away, they're safe. But then if something happens to you, you know, you're still potentially leaving them with no one if you know no one takes them it's yeah that's just it is such a bad situation especially when like i said you know you really couldn't just up and move Mm -hmm. so and you know they certainly didn't have remote working then so you couldn't like oh i'll keep my job in london and i'll you know come over here so yeah Uh something is happening with my system what there you go. That was weird. Hello. Welcome Hi, back. back. <laughs> All right, we'll fix it in editing. Um, yes. Yeah. Just yeah. World War Two was rough. I mean, it was a world war after all. Uh, what else? What else is in the future for you now? Like you said, you you're writing another book, and she's yeah. an American heroine. Can you what what degree of information are you allowed to give us about that, or is it still? Uh, it really is. Uh, it's going to be dual narration, um, and like I said, I'm going to have one character in France and one character who's going to be in Portugal, and that's about all I can really divulge right now. Uh, but it will definitely be coming out next year, okay. so um, just you know, people can. I, I will be sharing everything as I know information on social media, mm. on my website, which I'm having redesigned. Um, so if you pull it up and it takes a thousand years that hasn't been updated yet, uh, <laughs> if you pull it up and it comes up right away and it's beautiful, that means that my website is done. Yep. Um, but it'll probably be like another two weeks or so until we get to that point. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I will be sharing everything as soon as I can because I'm super excited about it too. <laughs> yes. Uh, and last bookshop in London is, it came out, when was the pub date? April 6th. I was, yeah, it's been, it's been a little while. Um, April yeah. 6th. So it is on shelves now. Yes. Um, and it oh, just no. hit target, which makes me so excited. All right. It's one of those small things, but you know, when I first started really writing books and everything and, and I would walk into target, and there's only so many books on those shelves. Mm-hmm. And I would think to myself, one day my books are going to be on target shelves mm-hmm. and I finally got to go and see my book at yep. target. And it was Hopefully. a huge moment for me. <laughs> And it is kind of, I mean, and, and like, it is great. Like a milestone. It's fantastic. It just kind of, it makes me chuckle a little bit. Cause of course we're all very pro bookstore, indie bookstore, but then to have that just, yeah, secret in the, but you're like, but I want to be in target too. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I definitely do always support, um, like local. In fact, yeah. if anybody is looking for a signed copy, of the last bookshop in London, you can actually order it from the bookmark at Neptune beach. Um, I have signed a bunch of them and they have them there. So that's one way to get them. And also definitely supporting local. (laughs) Yes. Anywhere you're at. We're supporting local. Uh, I I forgot to do this at the beginning. I usually try and do it at the beginning at the end. Um, But if you are interested in finding out more information about Madeline's either this book, The Last Bookshop in London, or any of her other books, we encourage that you go to IndieBound.org and try and find a local bookstore in your area to support. Um, You can also go to Bookshop.org and order, you know, Madeline's books, whatever other book you would like to your heart's content, and a portion of your sales will go towards supporting um, local bookstores across the country. So... Yes. And also for local bookstores too, or even if you go to a local bookstore and you love them, you can tell them this. Um, I will send as many book plates, signed book plates as needed for any um, bookstores that need them, the indie books. So just an FYI there, you guys can always reach out to me on any of my social media platforms. 
Yes, and we will feature uh, all of Madeline's social media and her website in our end credits. So if you're wondering what those are, we'll put them on screen for you. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that our timer is counting down. Um, so we, I just think, I don't, that's all my questions. I've been very much enjoying the book. This is Thank this you. is maybe one of the first books I've read in a while. And of course, it's been a weird year and reading has just been, I think, weird for all of us. But this was the first book I feel like I picked up recently that really just allowed me to sink into the characters and just kind of enjoy, like get that joy of reading back, which, which seems very appropriate for this book since it's kind of all about that. Oh, uh, so well, that really warms for, my heart. Thank you so much yeah, for letting me do thank that. You for, mm-hmm. Thank you for writing this book. And my mother and I actually read it together. So it was kind of a nice oh, book for us to read so together bad. and we can talk I about it. read books together too. And I love doing that. Isn't it nice? Yeah. We're, yeah. we're both not super big like book club people but we decided one day we were like we could just do a book club with the two of us that's fine (laughs) I think that's perfect yeah so uh so again we have been talking with Madeline Martin she's the author of the last bookshop in London you don't have a copy there do you I of course don't have one with me Uh, there it is the beautiful cover Thank you. It is very much a beautiful cover. I, the cover gods were very gracious. (laughs) Right. They blessed you with a beautiful cover. They really did. It's such a stunning cover. And, oh, and then, um, I really like how when I got the the paperback one, I don't know if you can tell, but it's embossed. Oh, is it? Yeah. When I, when I opened up, I was like, they embossed it. (laughs) It made my whole day seeing that it was so pretty. (laughs) These are, these are the weird things that authors and booksellers, I think get very excited about. They're like, Oh, it's embossed. And like, yeah, Yeah. maybe normal people don't understand, but I understand Madeline. Thank you. (laughs) So yes, last bookshop in London, it's on shelves. Now, Uh, like I said, we encourage you to go to your indie bookstore. If you have one around, you can use indiebound.org to find one near you. Uh, even if they're not in driving distance of you, most bookstores these days do have web stores. So you can look into that information using IndieBound.org, as I mentioned, or Bookshop.org. Uh, and purchasing from them will help indie bookstores across the country. So spread the love. Um, Madeline, thank you so much for spending this Saturday morning with us. It has been lovely talking to you and just learning, learning some things for me about World War II that I didn't know. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Renee, and for everyone else who tuned in. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Like I mentioned, we will put Madeline's uh, social media, her website, up in our end credits. So if you want to find out more about her and the things that she's up to, um, you will be able to do so on social media. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Speaking Volumes, and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.